Thank you for joining us at a special time today. We will be welcoming Senator Rand Paul in just a moment. After Senator Paul, Dr. Paul, as I prefer to call him, we'll be speaking with Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. She is a Stanford-trained otolaryngologist uh, who dared to say vaccine mandates are wrong. As a result, she was punished by her Houston Methodist Hospital. The medical board got involved with this. And uh, I think we'll let her speak for herself uh, as a quality physician. Of course, Rand Paul is a U.S. Senator from Kentucky. He graduated from Duke Medical School in 1988, then did a general surgery internship and went on to ophthalmology where he practiced uh, as an ophthalmologist for a while. And then in, I believe it was 2011, was uh, elected to the Senate. He obviously uh, figured large into many of the hearings, uh, particularly in regard to Dr. Fauci. He has a new book that I'm pouring through very quickly. We'll tell you more about it. I suggest it very strongly. The facts are there. He presents mounds of evidence about what happened during that debacle we call the COVID epidemic. We'll be right back with Senator Ron Paul after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble. You can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the holiday season and our friends at GenuCell Skincare want to give you the gift of younger looking skin with their best sale of the year. For the first time ever, get over 60% off our favorite skincare bundles at GenuCell.com slash Drew. GenuCell has so many products that Susan and I love. GenuCell's XV Moisturizer. It locks in moisture, making dry spots a thing of the past. It's especially great with the colder weather coming in. And with its immediate effects... Two, you can see these results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed, or your money back. Susan loves GenuCell's Vitamin C Serum and the new Deep Correcting Serum with Lactic Acid. It hydrates your skin while preventing future wrinkles from developing. Take advantage of this amazing holiday savings by going to GenuCell.com and getting over 60% off right now. Plus, all orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the holiday season. Use code DREW at checkout for an extra 10% off your entire order. That's genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. Paul's book is called Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up. Uh, and I think I said Ron Paul at the intro. I, I apologize for that. I know that is the senior Dr. <laughs> You're not Rand, the first. Dr. Paul. You're not the first one to uh, make that mistake. So I appreciate you being here. I, I, I want to I set this up in one specific way because um, I know something that the public doesn't know, which is we were in medical school around the same time. I graduated in 84. And the, whenever people have brought your name up over the years, I said the first thing you have to know is, first of all, you went to Duke, which was the top of the heap at the time. Secondly, when you got an ophthalmology residency in the 80s and early 90s, they only took one or two students from every class and only the very brightest. So I know Rand Paul to be exceptionally bright. Uh, and I saw plenty of evidence of that during the hearings uh, during the COVID mess. And now the book, uh, and I thank you for the book. There's mounds of evidence. If people want to dig through what happened, I've been trying to get through it as quickly as I, as I possibly can. But I have a, a million questions for you, and we will keep it just to 20 minutes, I promise. My first question is, the, there, were many, there were many things exposed by COVID. I, I'm sure you felt the same way as I did, and particularly about our profession. And the first thing I noticed is there seemed to be something wrong with our public health systems. I remember a while ago thinking, God, a lot of people with MPH after their name. Why, why so many, why all this interest in public health? And that's concerning me. There's a lot of hammers around looking for a nail. And then I looked during COVID itself, a lot of the people in public health positions of authority were either pediatricians or non-physicians making decisions about adult medicine. Do we have a fundamental problem with our public health system? You know, I think the problem as I see it is this idea that um, 
medicine can be ruled by consensus. And this has been going on for a while. It's this idea of groupthink that anyone who's outside the group or anyone who thinks other than what the consensus is should somehow be banished. But worse than that, have their license taken away, have their board certification taken away. It's it's an alarming sort of, I think, impulse to authoritarianism coming from physicians. You know, some of the physicians have put it this way. They're advocating for a policy on vaccines that is the law in most of Europe, and they're being chastised and told they might have their license taken away in California for advocating what is the law in about 10 countries in England, who in, in Europe, who actually do not uh, recommend the vaccine, the va- COVID vaccine for younger people. And so I guess that's what alarms me is how uniform it's become. But most of the groups, as you know, most of the medical groups are dominated by university physicians who are also very, very far to the left. But really, it used to be people on the left believe in freedom of speech. You know, they used to be advocates of the First Amendment. And it is really sad, the, the policing of speech that's come out of this. Especially in science, when, when the discourse, the, 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 you know, Debate is the the, net, the the nature of science. I, I've been saying for a while now, uh, you know, the 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 most significant historical example of a misinformation spreading professional was Galileo. Uh, and do we really want to be like the Spanish Inquisition? Is it, you really think that that the current Galileo should have their licenses revoked? That they we shouldn't listen to them? I mean, this is insane. Yeah, and and it's interesting in that it seems to be only going in one direction. So one of the controversies is over whether or not the virus came from animals naturally or from a a lab and was man-made. Well, most of the people who think it came from the lab have never once disparaged those who says it comes from animals, never once called them conspiracy theorists or said it's impossible, even though I think the preponderance of evidence, you know, is that it came from the lab. If you told me you think it comes from animals, I would say there's some chance and you have the right to present your facts and your opinions, but I wouldn't censor you. I wouldn't be part of the government that called up Facebook and says, take down any information from Rand Paul where he says that it came from the lab. That kind of censorship is uh, very, very worrisome to to the survival, really, of a free country. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah. B- back to the vaccine. Um, yeah, and by the way, there's, there's another claim that they, that they were... Uh, in addition to silencing people, they were calling you racist if you said it came from a Chinese lab. But if you said, ooh, gross, they eat animals in a wet market, those Chinese people, that's not racist. That's where the virus came from. So it's very, very odd. Um, but back to the vaccine. Um, I, got a, I got a bunch of questions. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, too. Uh, you know, I, I'm an internist, so I deal with a lot of elderly patients uh, during Alpha and Delta. I was happy to have the vaccine in spite of some real risks. I, I, the risk reward was clearly on the side of giving the vaccine back then. Uh, several, We've given several boosters, though some of that data, I don't know if you saw it came out of Austria yesterday, shows that the fourth booster adds nothing and maybe makes things a little worse after three months. So maybe we shouldn't be continuing to boost. But that's a those are nuanced points. The clear point that most of the world has adopted is that this is now, with 99% of the people exposed or vaccinated, in a, say, a 28-year-old male, this is a cold. Uh, And we're vaccinating against a cold at the risk of 1 in 500, 1 in 5,000, I don't care what number you want to put in there, uh, of myocarditis, of which the latest study shows half of that is still present at a year. Why the yeah. push? Why can't they change direction? It, it amazes me that there's the inability to discern that there was a vast age difference in risk here and that risks and benefits should be based on your risk of the disease versus the risks and benefits yeah. of the vaccine. Yeah. And in 20 and also the period of time. So in 2021 when the vaccine came out, my conclusion was that people over a certain age, probably over 65, that the risk of the disease yep. were greater than the risk of the vaccine. Even Me then, too. though, I think even then, though, I think that for teenagers, the risks of the vaccine exceeded the risk mm-hmm. of the disease. But now there are some important questions because now we're two years hence, and you're right, 99% of us have uh, either natural immunity or vaccine immunity or both. And so there's a real mm-hmm. question. I keep asking the CDC this question. Let's say I'm 75 years old and I've had two vaccines and I've had COVID twice. What are my risks? We know it doesn't stop transmission, but what are my risks now if I do nothing of going to the hospital and dying from COVID? Mm. 
So we know COVID has mutated to become less deadly, and we know our immunity has gone upward. So our immunity has gotten greater, the deadliness has gone down, but the CDC has the statistics. Just tell me the truth. I wanna make an honest decision. I wanna tell my parents or somebody else to make an honest decision, but they won't give us the facts. It's gotten so Why? bad. Why? What is that? What is well, that? This is That's the, the this oddest the thing in the world conundrum. to me. Is it, is it complete yeah. dishonesty or have they become salesmen for big pharma? With the children, with <laughs> recommending a booster for your six month old or your 10 year old, it is malpractice. It is without question malpractice. There is no evidence of a benefit. In fact, they couldn't. And I asked Fauci this question. I said, is there a reduction in transmission? No. Is there a reduction in death or hospitalization for teenagers? He says, no. we don't have enough information. No. He says, no, you." I said, absolutely, you have the information. It's zero and you can't get yeah. much below zero. And yeah. They could not prove efficacy for children. So what they did is they said, well, your kid will make antibodies. And so my response to him was, you can give your kid a thousand vaccines. Vaccines induce, a foreign protein will induce immune response. Doesn't mean you need one. You know, you can give them the cold, a cold vaccine yeah. every year, and it doesn't mean they need a cold vaccine. You need to know, is it deadly? Am I going to get sick? What are my risks? And they yeah. need to be compared. Yeah. But I just came from the Senate floor minutes ago arguing to get rid of the booster, the third vaccine for teenagers that are our pages. And mm. the Democrats came down there and argued disingenuously, but argued that the mandate needs to remain in place to protect these kids. What? I, I hope, listen, if if I'm the parent of a child who develops myocarditis, I'm going to sue the hell out of these people. I'm, that's what I'm going to do if, if that happens to one of my kids. And be, because the, the It may be the only way we finally stop this. I think that's right, and, and or, a, or a university or a high school or whatever it is. The, the, that, that to me has been the fundamental failure all the way through is no risk-reward consideration. That, that What is the risk-reward of lockdown? We don't care, lock it down. The interesting thing is we finally did get rid of the mandate on the military. So a lot of our young soldiers, a lot of them are male, a lot of them are 18 to 25. They're at high risk, higher risk for myocarditis than they are from the disease. We finally got rid of that mandate, mm -hmm. and yet they're still mandating on the pages. And the pages are 15, 16, 17 years old. And here's the other thing is, even the CDC has admitted that you shouldn't be vaccinated if you just had the disease because you've got a significant immune response happening and kids get an enormous mm -hmm. immune response. A vaccination on top of that is an increased risk for the myocarditis from this. And yet, yep. do you think anybody... Yep. Do you think at Walgreen they're asking you, did you have COVID recently before they give you the jab? Do you think the Senate page program is, is cautioning you not to get vaccinated if you just had COVID two weeks ago? No, they're not practicing good science. They're practicing herd science like your cattle. Everybody must get branded, but it has nothing to do with you individually, has nothing to do with your health. It has more to do with your submission, submission to the man, submission to the state. I don't think a rancher who had an investment financially in its herd <laughs> would treat its herd like this. I, they would be too dangerous. That's the reality. Um, so incredible. So I, again, because we have limited time, I'm going to jump a little bit from topic to topic. One of the things that, uh, and by the way, I cannot recommend the book strongly enough. It's, it's all there. And the fact that the public or the journalists so-called don't report more on what's in your book, Deception, I, I, is just uh, breathtaking to me, but okay, here we are. Um, I, you know, I sit and I think a lot about these things like, you know, why why can't we have risk-reward analysis? Where did risk-reward dialysis go? Why, what's, what's wrong with our profession? But one of the things that recently struck me was the fact that the vaccine is directed against the most pathogenic component of the virus. In other words, we are turning our bodies into spike protein factories with the mRNA vaccine, which I understand that, that creates the antibody response to the spike protein. But an awful lot of spike protein is being produced. We know now that the spike protein is the primary pathogenic mechanism or source of the pathogenesis of some of the more serious problems of COVID. It makes me believe or wonder, were they already ready for this virus in some way? Did they already have the blueprint of a spike protein vaccine because there was a probability of something like this getting away from somewhere that was doing some kind of gain of function research? So my first question, is that is that a reasonable theory? My second theory yeah. is, why don't they switch it now to the nucleocapsid? Why don't they, why don't they move wow. on to something else? Why staying with the spike protein? 
But this also shows why you have a little uh, broader spectrum immunity if you've actually had the illness. And people don't get it by choice. Yeah. We wish nobody had it. But when yeah. you get it and the r cell ruptures and the, the nucleocapsid uh, antigens are exposed, then you get immunity to a broad array of things that are not just the S protein. You also get a, a yeah. immunity to some other antigens on the surface other than the S protein. So you get a wider range. That's probably why you're less likely to get it and less likely to get sick if you have natural immunity. Now, did they know in advance? We talk about this in the book. There was a deal between Moderna and uh, the US government and Chinese in uh, December of 2019. I don't think it's as nefarious as some have reported. I think they were working on an S-protein kind of mRNA virus vaccine, yeah. and they wanted to have yeah. something that would be a pan-coronavirus, so it'd be all the different strains and it would work. Ah, I, and okay. I also think, and so they were ready, they were prepared, they were very quick, because the technology, once you get the sequence, you can do an mRNA vaccine very quickly once you have the sequence. Yep. But here's the intriguing yep. thing, and the thing that we report extensively on in the book, is that early in 2019, a general, Zoe Yusin, began developing a vaccine, and the vaccine they were developing was a live attenuated vaccine. So you have to have the virus. Mm. The mm. virus of coronaviruses don't infect humans very well. The first SARS-1 in 2003, 2004, it infected animals really well, and it got into humans, but it wasn't very contagious. So what they did is they inserted you know, the cleavage site, the furin cleavage site into the genetic code, they did that in the lab to try to create a virus that was more infectious to humans to try to create a live attenuated vaccine. The problem with live attenuated vaccines is you're dealing then with a live virus in the, you're not dealing just with a protein or a, a part of a killed virus or whatever, you're dealing with the live vaccine and then trying to attenuate it. And in the history of things that have escaped from the lab, live vaccines have been the ones that have escaped from the labs previously. We think that's what happens also, we know that this General Zoe Yusin has a vaccine by February of 2020. The only way you get a live attenuated vaccine in February of 2020 is you had to start at least in November of 2019. So they had to have known the virus sequence. They had to have had the virus for a longer period of time. But then what's extraordinary is this general, you'd think he would be a hero for developing the vaccine. Two months later, he dies falling from a, a tall building in Beijing. Whether he was pushed mm -hmm. or jumped is an open question, but it's a mysterious death from a general who discovered or created this vaccine in an extraordinary short period of time. So there's so many things that don't add up. And we talk about the great COVID cover-up in the book. It began in China, and we kind of expect the totalitarian government of China not to be honest. We kind of just expect that that coexists mm -hmm. with totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. But I didn't expect to find so much cover-up in our own government across eight departments of government, funding that had been going on a decade, and no one will own up to it. And to this day, NIH has not produced documents to me. HHS has not produced documents. We have named documents that are completely whited out, and they will not give us the documents, even though they're all unclassified. They won't give these documents to me. What's, we're, you know, in addition to our profession, I, I wonder what happened to journalists. I mean, journalists should be crawling all over this, trying to figure this out. You talk about worse than Watergate, my God. But as you sit and sort of think about this, and I, I'm guessing at night you wake up and this is ruminating in your mind. Is there, can you, can you concoct a story where it's justified for everybody to be silent? Is there something so, you know, so important that it remained... It's not classified per se, but secret that that it would justify all this cover up, or is there something else that you imagine going on? Uh, I'll tell you what encourages me. Yes, the mainstream media completely ignored it, but I am encouraged by having so many other sources. So in 2020, I didn't think twice about it. 22 scientists signed a letter in Lancet and said it came from animals, and you're crazy mm -hmm. if you don't believe them. And I was like, I read that very briefly and didn't look into it. It wasn't until a year later that Nicholson Wade, who's a science writer, used to write for the New York Times, no one would accept yep. his article. He wrote a 50-page right. article really I, going I on it. to serial passage, and that's what lit me yep. up. And I've talked to him on the phone and said, you are what inspired me to go into this and look and look and look for more information and to discover this. But 
I would say that there are enough voices, your voice, other voices that uh, aren't just in the middle of the mainstream media anymore, but they're out there. The internet's an amazing thing, but it's why we have to keep the government out of the internet. We can't have a government that meets with Dr. Drew at the end of this yeah. interview and decides what you're allowed to publish and what you're not. And maybe they don't tell you they're not, but they're armed agents of the government sitting in your office. Do you think that doesn't have a chilling effect? That's what they were doing at oh Twitter and Facebook is yeah. once a week, meeting with them and suggesting very strongly that they take down information that was all constitutionally protected speech. Oh, yeah. Listen, I, it's it's not, uh, you know, we get dinged from uh, Facebook and YouTube all the time for spurious, ridiculous things. Um, but I'm also noticed that uh, I was responding to, I, we have a, a Chinese virologist that worked on the coronavirus named Li Meng Yan that I interview once in a while. And I noticed she was getting attacked. And I said, I just sort of went on Twitter and said, anybody think this is a Chinese bot attacking her? Because it was very nonsensical, you know, it, it, sort of a weird sort of an attack. Uh, 25 minutes later, there were videos of me on Twitter uh, attacking me, edited very carefully to make it seem like I had a certain kind of opinion that I did not. And I thought, wow, it's not just our government. The Chinese government is in here doing stuff too. Are people aware of that? You know, I think they are more and more, but people are just smarter than, than everybody gets them credit for. And I think particularly the left, the elitism is astounding, but they basically think astounding. that you're stupid. Yeah. They, think, they think you shouldn't be able to choose what news, well, they, you shouldn't be able to choose what health care. Yeah. But here's the thing about it. Yeah. Like with regard to the vaccine, Anthony Fauci in the New York Times will still lament, nobody got vaccinated and that's why all these people died. 97% of people over 65 got vaccinated. They read the newspaper and they found their neighbors were dying and they were all older and they said, wow, I'm, I think I might want to get vaccinated. But they could have done a better job. The one thing Anthony Fauci and public health doctors should have done is not mandate things, but suggest things. There's a really strong correlation with obesity. And I told people I know that if they were significantly overweight and they were 35 or 45 years old, they might want to consider in 2021 at least getting vaccinated. And I knew people who did die who were very large. I was in the hospital rotating and them and yeah. turning them on the yeah. ventilator and being trying to be helpful after mm. I recovered from COVID. But none of that mm. came out. Instead, they're telling us to wear some cut-up T-shirt over our face. And that was malpractice because they don't work. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that is the bizarre. That those were all ideas pulled out of thin air. You know, the the idea that six feet made we're six feet. That's just a complete fabrication. And then the nonsense about you know wearing your mask until you sit down for the interview and then taking it off or taking it off to eat. I mean, it's just all just so bizarre. It's it's positively bizarre. But my favorite but, was the um, plexiglass. The plexiglass that the virus oh will not yeah. be able to yeah. skirt the plexiglass, <laughs> no. and you'll be protected yeah. by plexiglass. <laughs> That was about one of the dumbest <laughs> things I ever heard. Yeah, well, it's because people mistook, they don't understand an aerosolized virus. They, they think it was transmitted by spit or body fluid or something. And so they, they got that in their head and they couldn't get away from it. The surgeons wear masks, they wear masks. Yes, so, so your mouth bacteria don't fall into the surgical field. Not so an aerosolized virus doesn't head over to the anesthesiologist, which it will do if, if that's what's happening. All right, so I, I have like literally seconds remaining with you. I appreciate the time you've spent. I appreciate the book. Uh, I will just say one, one last quick thing from my perspective, which was Andy Fauci was one of my heroes on pretty much my whole career. I was very deep in the AIDS pandemic uh, and he was a wonderful light in that, in that pandemic and a great source and someone I expected to, to guide us through this thing. Is, it, is there something about the, <laughs> the way government sees itself or the way government does PR these days that is so anachronistic that it looks like some sort of misappropriation of power, that they're still using playbooks from the 1980s when it worked? And by the way, it didn't really work then. We learned then suggestion worked better than, than mandates, but be that as it may. Is, has the world changed so much in terms of how information is delivered and people's behaviors are affected that they just haven't caught up with that and they're using an old playbook that now looks authoritarian? Well, you know, it's interesting. They have all these pandemic sort of exercises. They have been planning. We spend yeah. gazillions of dollars on everything, planning what we're going to do when the pandemic comes. Happened yeah. all the way up through 2020. None of it include masks because the consensus, if there was one, or lockdowns. the masks yeah. didn't work very well. But I think really what concerns me more, even than the, the mandates, is the idea that all those who funded gain-of-function research have clammed up and covered up. And this is where the cover-up comes mm. in. And people think okay. a cover-up is sort of a cabal of people running their fingers together. 
Now, George Carlin had it, had it best when he said that a conspiracy theory is not necessary where interests converge. They all have an interest not to be associated with the Wuhan lab now and not to be associated with the money that went to it. But there are some questions that are extraordinary questions. How come the scientists involved with Dr. Xi didn't warn us that she and they had applied for a research grant in 2018 to create a virus that looks just like COVID-19. And when they saw COVID-19, why didn't they immediately inform us? But the possibility they may have, because this Dr. Barrick from UNC, mm. he meets in February mm. of 2020 with Anthony Fauci. What does Anthony Fauci say under deposition? He's not sure if he can place this Dr. Barrick and not sure if he ever met him. Wow. Even though we have Whoa. a video of him, we have a video of him introducing Dr. Barrick and sitting in a conference listening to him for an hour and a half. He says he's never met him. We do know that Barrick met privately with Anthony Fauci in February of 2020. Anthony Fauci under deposition can't recall that. But if you were if you were Ralph Barrick, this you know big gain of function researcher at UNC, wouldn't you have wanted to tell Anthony Fauci, oh my goodness, I've seen the sequence? And it looks like what they asked us to be part of a study in 2018, and they didn't get the money for it, but this looks exactly like what they were planning on doing. Wouldn't that be a suspicion that, wow, this thing may have come from the lab? That's the way a lot of people concluded, but Anthony Fauci concluded to commission people to write a journal article in, in Nature that said, basically, if you think this came from a lab or you argue that, that you are you are crazy and that there's no evidence for that, and now if you interview yeah. Anthony Fauci, what does he say? He says, well, yeah, I've always said it might have come from a lab. I never wanted kids right. not to go to school. You, you're just misremembering, you know, what I said. Right. Um, lie, right. lie, lie, just nonstop. Well, tremendous harm was done with these excesses. And I really appreciate you being there, pushing back, asking the hard questions. And please pick up the pace. Let's keep going. You have an army behind you ready to be of use, particularly if they read the book. So read the book, Deception, The Great Cover-Up. Uh, and you, the great COVID cover-up, you'll find it at Amazon, your usual places, and uh, read it onward. And uh, if we can be of any help to you, I hope you'll reach out. Thanks. Senator Ron Paul, thank you so much. All right, so. Rand. Um, Senator Rand I, I know Paul. it sounds like, a, you know what? <laughs> I, know, I, I, I heard know. <laughs> myself when I said that. It sounds like I'm saying Ron. I am saying Rand in my own head, trust me. <laughs> I know, it I just know. doesn't. Randy, his actual name was Randall and Randy. It's his wife that uh, that uh, distilled it down to Rand. And I uh, and everyone thinks it is a reference to Ayn Rand, which it is not, apparently. But maybe it is. I should have asked him about that. But anyway, he did, he, he did not disappoint. And uh, do read the book. It's a lot, just mount, just tons of information, including uh, specific, you know, sort of um, manuscripts or, or, you know, I, I wanted to, if I had an hour and a half with them, I, I wanted to go to some of these particular interviews that are actually word for word represented in the book. You'll get a lot out of that. All right, Dr. Mary Tally Bowden is here next. She was uh, targeted. She was mistreated by uh, our peers. Uh, she can be at breathemd.org, B-R-E-A-T-H-E-M-D. You can also follow her on X at MD Breathe, uh, the opposite of that. Her substack is Dr. Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-M. I want to give you a Rand Paul again too. X is uh, Rand Paul, R-A-N-D Paul. Uh, Instagram is Dr. Rand Paul, Dr. Rand Paul. And uh, of course, in the book, Deception, the great COVID cover-up. And uh, we'll take a little break and be back with Dr. Bowden. If you're trying to figure out the right present for someone, you will not go wrong with gifting the most comfortable sheets, clothing, and accessories that your friends and family have ever felt. Of course, I'm talking about Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth has the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, towels, PJs, joggers, and more guaranteed. Susan and I love them. In fact, we still have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed. I slept in them last night. I was thinking about how great they were. And look at this. I'm wearing one of their super comfortable t-shirts right now. I don't get, I just can't get enough of Cozy Earth. Their sheets are durable, machine washable, and come with a 10-year warranty against defects. So no surprise that Cozy Earth's brand has been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things for five years in a row. Whether it's their luxury pajamas, super soft bedding, loungewear, or plush bath towels, you will love shopping and gift giving at Cozy Earth. Here's my gift to you this holiday season. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter code DREW to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com with code DREW. 
CozyEarth.com, code Drew, save 40%. I think everyone knows the next medical crisis could be just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of another pandemic or something much more routine like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their physicians on like Dr. McCullough frequently. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals you can trust. And their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. It's really, it's a safety net. It's an insurance policy yeah, absolutely. that you hope you're not going to need. But if you need it, you sure as heck are going to wish you had it if you need it. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin, z pack the medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all these life-saving medications. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID-19, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured, knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family stay safe from whatever life throws at you next. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com forward slash TWC to get 10% off today. Just click on that link. All right. So, uh, Caleb, I guess I, I was watching the numbers up, uh, up to the yeah, right of my head. I, Those are the only numbers I can see. And I guess I kept uh, Dr. Paul longer than I, I should have. And I had deepest apologies for that. I realized you? it that you had two clocks on your screen and I realized I got to hide one of the, yeah, no, I, I, production behind the scenes stuff. I know exactly what was I, wrong. <laughs> I, I, I went, I got out exactly at zero, zero, zero on the right. wrong clock. And yeah, so but, that was uh, my fault. Look, Don't worry, he, I yelled at him for you. Yeah. Yeah, and look, he's he's a senator. If he wanted to stop talking, he would have stopped talking. Like he he had good stuff yeah, to say. He to wanted to finish his sentence. But, but yeah. do do apologize. He's, yeah. he's got a very nice team. Please apologize. To he them has a lot to say, and I wanted and, to hear uh, more. Yeah, I could talk to him for hours. So speaking of somebody I could speak to to for hours, let's bring our next guest, with Dr. Mary Tally Bowden. Uh, she is an otolaryngologist. She's a, a Stanford trained physician, uh, and she uh, has been taken to task by our peers, let's put it that way, by the hospital administration, by medical boards. Uh, Dr. Bowden, thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me. So tell, tell the story really briefly, if you don't mind. I think a lot of people are aware and watch the news, the, 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 the news reports on what happened to you, but give, give them, the, from your perspective, the, the basic history. I started seeing COVID patients um, at urinals and throat doctors. I have patients coming to me all the time with respiratory tract infections. They wanted to get uh, tested. So we actually had a saliva test. It was non-invasive. We got the results back quickly. So my little clinic exploded with COVID because of that. And then I'd tell patients, go see your primary care doctor to get treated. They'd come back to me and say, well, my primary care doctor has shut their doors and won't see me. And that didn't sit well with me. So initially I started using breathing treatments and, you know, antibiotic steroid supportive treatment. Monoclonal antibodies came around and those were great. They turned people around very quickly, 24 hours, boom, they were great. And initially I could get all the monoclonal antibodies I wanted. Then the government yeah. started matching them. Anyway, I, you know, I started turning to alternatives because monoclonal antibodies ran out. And then I started, when the vaccine came out, I started seeing all the breakthrough cases. I actually went to Methodist and said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Uh, that was ignored, I was dismissed. And then I had all these patients coming to me very distraught over their mandate. And they were the first hospital in the country to mandate the shots four months before Biden did it. I think they were chosen to do that. I think it was purposeful. Um, but anyway, I had a lot of patients coming to me very upset. And you know, I basically, started speaking out on Twitter. And on one particular day, I tweeted out 25 times, vaccine mandates are wrong. And I put a testimonial from one of my patients with each tweet. Five days later, I received a alarming text message from a reporter at the Houston Chronicle saying, can you please confirm that your privileges have been suspended at Houston Methodist? And I was blindsided. I had no idea what they were talking about. And then I go to my email and indeed I have been suspended. They didn't call me. Um, and then I go to Twitter and they're tweeting about it. And then the story hit the news and it went viral. Uh, so, you know, I held a press conference the following week to try to get my side of the story out because it was just, I mean, it was worldwide and people were going crazy on me. Um, and then I ended up suing them for defamation and that, that 
that's ongoing. Um, uh, they, in turn, they reported me to the medical board because I, I resigned when they did that. And I resigned while under investigation um, for spreading dangerous misinformation. That's how they put it. So, the, and that medical board is, that issue is still ongoing as well. And this is Texas Medical Board? Yes. H have they been uh, aggressive throughout COVID? Uh, I've had four complaints. One of them over, uh, well, two of them over ivermectin prescriptions uh, and two of them from hospitals. One of the ivermectin prescriptions that was eventually dismissed, but I did have to hire a lawyer and get it addressed. The other ivermectin prescription is still ongoing. And then the two hospital ones are still ongoing. Um, none of these cases was involved patient safety. And, uh, you know, as you know, the medical board usually goes after felons, and, you know, drug abusers mm -hmm. and sexual misconduct. Um, they don't, mm -hmm. this is purely political. There's, there's no safety involved. Um, and I think if it were, if they were really concerned about safety, they would be moving this, these cases along. Instead, they're just dragging them out. I mean, it's been mm -hmm. two years now. So it's unbelievable. So let's go back to the initial uh, treatment paradigms uh, you were using. Look at that. Ridiculous. Dangerous misinformation to talk about monoclonal antibodies. That, that one of the first things that struck me was that the, the public health was not advocating for the public health. I mean, they should have been out there educating what are monoclonal antibodies? How do they work? How do you get them? When I, I went out very aggressively, I, I, got, I got monoclonal antibodies that turned my COVID around. And, uh, and I just said, you need to be aware of this. And immediately I had the pushback. I got, oh, you're special. Only you can get it. No, everybody can get it. Oh, you can afford it. They're free. They're free. The government has already bought them. And no one had any awareness of this. What, that to me was the very first and most exquisite failure of public health. Forget on the mandating side and on the excesses. The, those are well documented. But the failure on the side where they actually could have helped people survive this illness, that's where I was having a problem. Agree, agree. And, you know, DeSantis was leading the way. I mean, he was setting up those monoclonal antibody stations and making them widely accessible. And it was very frustrating, especially, you know, initially I could just, uh, order them directly from the manufacturer and get as many yeah. doses as I wanted and they'd be there the next yep. day. And the government yep. took over distribution and it went all downhill. They started rationing mm. the dosage and the accessibility. And that's when I turned to ivermectin. And I was actually worried about ivermectin because I was like, there's no way it's going to work as well as the monoclonal antibodies. Um, yep. And after I, I dug into it and made sure it was really safe, and then I started using it. And you know, now I've treated over 6,000 COVID patients, and everybody that received early treatment is alive and well, which obviates the need for this experimental vaccine with no long-term safety data. I mean, I have seen, I looked over the last two years at my new patient appointments, and 7% of my new patients have come to see me for chronic debilitating health problems following these shots. It's unbelievable. I mean, you look at the, the swine flu vaccine that was pulled after 26 people died. It is truly unbelievable to me. And did, now- did they, did they die or they just got Guillain-Barre? I think they just got Guillain-Barre. I don't think they died, did they? Maybe maybe so, but it was minimal yeah. compared to what we're seeing now. Yeah, And yeah, having yeah. shots on the vaccine schedule is just, I'm, I'm just floored by this. For a cold, yeah. as you were saying with Rand Paul, it's a cold. I mean, it's, and, you know, even, even if it were a little more severe, we have treatment. I mean, I mean, I don't like Paxlovid, but hell, they can use Paxlovid if they want to. I mean, they've got treatment. We have no long-term safety data. It, it's just alarming. And I, I really think uh, we need more politicians to speak up. We need more people speaking out because, you know, you know, Rand Paul and everybody else, they're not taking any more of these shots. And they're not giving them their, to their children. And if they're not willing to give them to themselves or to their children, they shouldn't be pushing them or allowing them on the market. And I really think they need to be pulled off the market. Well, it's not allowed in a lot of European, most of the countries in the world, right? Uh, it's, they, they do not allow vaccination of young people for the risk reward problems that we, Dr. Paul and I were talking about. 
Uh, when you, this 7% that you're seeing that has uh, adverse vaccine reactions, is there a pattern to that? Yes. So, you know, I'm not seeing the myocarditis, stroke, that sort of thing. I see patients with POTS, probably the, the number one thing where blood pressure yeah. goes way up yeah. and way down. Uh, I see yeah. bad rashes. Um, I've seen neuropathy. I've seen localized pain yeah. where there's no explanation. And these patients get the million-dollar workup. They usually come to see me because no one else will listen to them. Nothing shows up on these tests. They get put on psych medicines. They put get put on uh, sleeping pills. They get put on anxiety medications. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I've been able to help people, but I would say the majority of these people, I'm not seeing cures, right? I mean, time, right. the teacher of time does help. Uh, I have things that I try and I've been able to help people, but these seem to be chronic, long lasting, really um, devastating problems for these patients. And they're not getting heard. They're getting gaslit, uh, the elephants in the room and, and nobody's acknowledging it. The, the one I keep seeing is the extreme exertional intolerance. And then when they try to push through it, they're trashed for the day. Uh, I've seen, uh, I'd say most of the vaccine stuff that gets to me is in that sort of zone. And when you test those people, they have persistent spike. <laughs> they have VEGF up. They have these neuroinflammatory mediators that are markers for something going on. So it's not like nothing's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, people say there's no right. test. There are, there are tests and we've documented it. There's something going on. Right. But, you know, the average doctor doesn't test for the more sophisticated testing that you and I are yeah. aware of. Yeah. Um, but the routine testing doesn't, things usually don't show up. So back to what I was talking to Senator Paul about, I'm going to ask you the same sorts of questions. Like, you know, you, you graduated from Stanford, the medical school when? When was your? Mm, 2003, I finished residency. Okay. So you're, you're. So your medical school was late 90s. You know, we were 80s, Paul, uh, Dr. Paul and I. And the, the behavior and the, it just, what, the, the, just what's happened to our profession is, is so breathtaking and hard to understand. Uh, I'm guessing you think a lot about that. I, the, fundamentally, just the breakdown in risk-reward analysis, the ability just to make blanket... I mean, I do. What happened to do no harm? What what happened to that? Where right. did that and, go? And, well, in the long term safety data, I remember it was probably the next to last day of my residency, and one of my attendings said to me, "Just when you get out there in the real world, be careful about jumping on the bad bandwagon. Don't just start mm -hmm. prescribing things that are fresh off the market." We've mm -hmm. seen it time and time again. I mean, with countless medications that go on the market and that later get pulled. And, you know, here we are. I mean, what uh, very providential about that sort of advice. But, you know, the, the last and the other thing that's very egregious is what we're doing to pregnant women, giving them something so experimental. I mean, you know, when we're not even allowed to eat a turkey sandwich. Um, and yet we're taking, we're giving them these shots. It's just, it's truly un unbelievable. Uh, have you, what are you laughing at the turkey sandwich? Yeah. Salmonella. She's got uh, a point. About, yeah. No, we won't let, you know, it's, I just, in, in the internal medicine, we have this thing called the MKSAP, which is this board review that's published every three or four years. And I've, I've done it for decades and uh, I was working on it recently and I was doing the rheumatology board review and I was shocked to find in the, the current MKSAP, they recommend keeping our lupus patients on hydroxychloroquine during pregnancy because it is so inert. See, that's the only medication I can think of that, that, that they say that about. I can't think of a single other medicine that I would allow a patient to take. And I would not have allowed that one, frankly, had they not made it very explicit in the board review. And I thought, wow, mm, interesting. And yet people exactly. have strong opinions about that chemical as well. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's odd. It's odd. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family, dogs, cats, even horses, in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7. 
a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Do you, do you have a theory about what's happened? Was it just a you know mass formation? Was it a, you know just a weird panic, a mob action that we're having trouble yeah. sort of re-equilibrating from? Uh, it, were things already too centralized? Were we all employees and that stopped everything? What, the, but what happened here? I mean, I think me not being employed was you know, very helpful. I, I, was, I did not feel beholden to anybody and I'm, I guess, you know, the doctors that are employed and I think the figure is at least 80% of doctors now are employed. And, you know, that's what I say about my practice. I say, I only work for my patients. I don't, I'm not beholden to the government. I'm not beholden to an insurance company. I'm not beholden to the hospital. So I'm only working for my patients, but most doctors have a third party, you know, hanging over their head and whispering in their ear whether they are aware of it or not. And that I think is part of the problem. I think doctors are fundamentally rule followers. I mean, we kind of have to be to get ahead. We have to make straight A's. We have to behave and uh, do well in residency and do as we're told. And I think that creates a culture of followers. Um, And then you combine that with the fact that they're all employed uh, and then the group think, and then, you know, well, it's a big mess, right? And the media is on yeah. top of it and it's just a perfect yeah. storm, but. It's crazy. But, you know, you say followers. I, to me, when, when I think about that, I think about failure of undergraduate education because it, it is the medical training is sort of military style. You know, it's, it's fall in lines, you know, stand up straight, follow, follow orders, l- learn how to do things, you know, over and over and over and over again. But undergraduate is where you're supposed to learn to think and to reason scientifically and, and to conceive of experiments and to be able to read statistics. That, I think, may be a breakdown point as well. I don't know. Undergraduate was, for me, just a lot of socializing more than anything, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, well, feel to like, be fair, well, listen, I, to, I, li- I, I, I've noticed that some people say I, I had a sort of a late, what I would call a lazy brain. I, I was not, I was not skilled. I was not tuned the way I got tuned up. I got very tuned up uh, completely by my undergraduate training, like seriously ground to a pulp. Uh, I needed that. Not everyone needs that. You may not have needed that. You may already have had a good, oh, careful analytic I, mind. Yeah. Uh, my high school, high school was a beat of my critical thinking. And then I sort mm. of had fun in college and then I got, I got serious again in medical school. Uh, but what I, I, you know, I do think to become a doctor, you have to be a rule follower, um, to, mm-hmm. to some degree. Um, and yeah, yeah, I will tell you, I, I got in trouble back in 1984 going on the radio to dare to talk about young people about this thing called HTLV3 at the time, you now know as HIV. Uh, that was considered outrageous, and I was stepping out of line. And, I, you know, the the heads of the department should be doing it, even though no 23-year-old would listen to somebody like that at the time, especially. It, it, it really is, um, yeah, it, 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 and I, I learned not to question too much some of the instincts of our younger colleagues if, if they have instincts that run contrary to the uh, the mainstream. But I don't even find those 
colleagues anymore. They're all just completely down for the cause. Uh, they don't. They don't seem to be wanting to think for themselves. Yeah, I was. You know, I had a little hiccup, a few hiccups along the way because I spoke out and uh, they they shut me down. Um, but nothing major. But I remember. I was upset because they were waking patients up at 4 a.m. to draw their blood, but the results would, you know, we'd round at 6 a.m. and the results would never mm -hmm. be back. And so I, I talked to the director of the lab, like, why are you waking up the patients if they aren't even back? And, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think for the most, and that, you know, it's a generational thing too. Uh, it's, we, we have a, a, sort of a weaker uh, generation that's um, brainwashed in some ways. Well, let's think about that because there's a lot of smart kids. It's not for lack of horsepower. Uh, it, it, you, we were sort of reared a lot on question authority, uh, even though we were mm -hmm. compliant. We were sort of reared on question, question, question. And uh, that sort of virtue has been washed out a bit, I think. It, it seems like maybe that isn't sort of top of mind. I mean, like, you know, you were a troublemaker you know, by today's standards. And, and uh, just for advocating on behalf of patients, you know, not waking them up at four in the morning, a pretty reasonable thing with sick people on your hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't, it's, I, I'd be interested to go back and see what residency is like now. I don't know if you have any, insight into how they treat the residents now i think they're softer on them but i don't i don't know uh oh 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 yeah uh, it depends on what discipline of course as always but i mean certainly the residents have a lot more rights than we we our right was to you know be do what we were told and not sleep and 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 that stuff has been you know, people say that maybe that's not such a good thing. i i, I don't know how you learn to prioritize the patient in front of you more than when you're miserable and you and you just you can just focus and overcome everything that's happening to you personally to put the patient first and again and again and again in the middle of the night day after day there's something very important about that experience uh, it it just it causes you to just put patients first always I, you can't think I agree. otherwise even to this day when i'm exhausted and i'm Mm -hmm. I'm like I, need to, I just I've got other things to do. I, I actually have flashbacks to residency about okay. Yeah, me too. You just have to get this done. Yeah, me too. No, I have. Uh, it's almost like for me, it was almost like a giant uh, traumatic experience. I, I have vivid, real flashbacks of things and literally things that were said to me by certain consultants and things. I can remember it like they're standing in front of me right now, and that was. <laughs> 35, 40 years ago. And uh, and some of that wisdom, uh, that's how it got in and stayed in. Uh, and it's been serving me ever, ever since. And I, I and I, I was a chief resident for a year and uh, I did a lot of that um, aggressive kind of, uh, you know, pimping of, of residents and things. And, um, and I, and and when a patient, one of them complained to me about it, and I was like, I was confused. I thought, no, this is, it's because I care. I want you to. You're gonna. You have a prescription pad. I got to make sure you know what you're doing when you leave here. This is because I care about who you are when you walk out of this program. This isn't because I think you're a bad person. This is the. This is somebody did this for me, and I and I'm benefited from it. I think that was the beginning of the end when they started right. complaining to the chief resident. <laughs> I don't think, I think now you get a lawsuit or something. I really do. I'd be, yeah. I'd be afraid to be like the way I was. And, and it felt like I was, you know, rigorously training. I, I mean, the military still does it. You know, they still manage to create some, craft some pretty good professionals by using that same old technique. We just, we just aren't allowed to use. And nursing still does it, interestingly, I think, don't they? I don't know. I don't have the... To some extent. Yeah. You don't get in there so much. All right. So going forward, we're, we're kind of running low on time here. Going forward, what uh, what are you concerned about now? Are you Is it is your main concern the excessive uh, mandates for the vaccine? Well, I think no one trusts the healthcare system anymore. The, the most common mm. question I get asked time and time again is who do you recommend because I don't trust anybody. And I think if yeah. we're going to restore trust, first, we got to pull these shots off the market. We need, a, we need apologies. We need accountability. 
and yeah. we need to replace the people who have made such a mess of this with the people that got it right. Um, yeah. But first step is, is I mean, take these things off the market in, in any other time and any other medication. If this were an antibiotic and we were seeing all these things, it would have been pulled off the market a long time ago. And we're, mm -hmm. we're dealing with basically a cold right now. I mean, it, it's, it's truly unbelievable. I don't know if you saw the, there was an Austrian study that came out, I think it was yesterday that showed, it was looking at the benefits of the second booster, the fourth, fourth shot. And uh, it showed that uh, essentially no benefit uh, and that you could get a slight, no benefit on hospitalization and death. You could get a slight reduction in infectivity, like a 17% reduction for three months after the vaccine, but then a rebound of increase infectivity uh, for the six months following that. So uh, here we are. Uh, there's the evidence. Uh, behave well, accordingly. That, that's, I, I, that's, what, did they talk about the risks? Did they talk about, you know. They, they didn't. No, it was yeah. still looking at benefit. Yeah, but the risk, the risk we all are seeing, I mean, you. Do, do your these these patients that come to you with the vaccine reactions are they making var are you make a VARES report are they making VARES reports is oh yes is yes. It the CD I have yeah. made all the VARES reports no one prior to me has made a VARES report on these patients it's awful have have they has uh, the FDA or anybody through VARES followed up with you on any of the more serious ones one of them that's it oh that's good <laughs> uh, that's good <laughs> and yeah. That's they something. Just it's better before, than what they've been they, doing. They asked me for records. I mean, there wasn't like a heart-to-heart -heart uh, conversation. It was just send us your records. Interesting. The, my understanding is, I don't know if you know uh, Joseph Fryman, but uh, he had a conversation with the FDA, and what he discovered is what they do with the reports that they follow up on is they have one guy that decides if they think what they're looking at is a vaccine reaction. So some guy, just they got a guy that decides. Uh, it's something that cannot be determined. It, it's just simply the data. It's not their position. It's a, it, there's a temporal relationship between the vaccine and the clinical syndrome incurred. It's not up to a person to decide. It's, a, it's up to the group to collate the data and look at it and then right. make that public, frankly. Well, all right. Well, listen, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you taking the time out of the day. And I know we had to sit there during, uh, uh, during Dr. Paul's interview. Um, anything else you're concerned about? Did I miss anything in your story that you'd like people to know or what you're planning going forward? Well, I really want people to challenge their representatives and do it publicly. I think Twitter is a good, or X is a good uh, place for that. To ask them, you know, are you continuing to take these shots? Are you giving them to your children? And if you are not, then you need to speak up because if it's not safe enough for you, if it's not safe enough for your children, it's not safe enough for your constituents. And we just, we really need to pound that point in. And I would, I just hope more people will speak up. I've got a running list so far. I've got 15 candidates running for office and five who are already in office who are willing to say that the shot should be pulled off the market. Uh, and that list just grows every day. At, at very minimum, talk to your doctor. Don't don't listen to gigantic centralized bureaucracies. Let, let somebody who actually cares about you, I trust, I hope you have that kind of physician uh, to help you make that decision with you. Uh, it's breathemd.org and uh, your Twitter is the opposite is that? Is it MD Breathe? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Dr. Mary Tally Bolden, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, you got it. Uh, and looking at what's coming up, uh, where are we here? We are Wednesday. So tomorrow we have Viva Fry coming back for a little visit. Uh, look at uh, Sean Baker coming in, Jim Brewer, Roseanne, who I have to run, go to her, her podcast immediately following this uh, particular broadcast. Uh, let me just look at the Twitter spaces very quickly to here to see if um, any pressing questions there. Uh, well, Hmm, somebody from Sweden uh, asking questions. Uh, all right, uh, I think what I better wrap this up. Susan, any thoughts for you before I do so? No, not really. Did, did you learn something? I know something? you've got a big drive to cross yeah, town. Did you learn something about... Uh, of course. What did you learn? 
Uh, <laughs> is this a well, test? No, <laughs> I just thought uh, some of the things he was saying about the Chinese government would interest you, what Dr. Brumball was saying. No, I'm, I'm just happy I have the uh, Chinese bots out of my Facebook today. This was a rough week for me trying to get, yeah. yeah, I got hacked and, you know, it feels so weird to have uh, technology overrun your your personal personal life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, honestly, we have to all be suspicious of everything that we hear and see and just, you know, make your own choices and also use your common sense and, and trust your doctors. If they have an MD or they're a good doctor, just trust them. If you, if you believe they're listening, they must listen to you. I have a lot of patients complaining these days that the doctor doesn't, won't listen. Uh, really, I, I had a patient today, this morning, tell me some extraordinary things about a, um, a consultant and the, the way she was treated and the way I just, and this is a very, very, very bright, very informed, very motivated patient who was treated like, um, like there was something wrong with her for having ideas or thoughts or about her care, own care. It was really bizarre. It was really something. And it felt like this same kind of thing. Uh, well, you have to go in with educated it questions it, too. Yeah, like, try not to get a little, you know, go would, don't go down the WebMD <laughs> diagnosis. No, no. Uh, listen, I don't mind when people come in with the WebMD question. I want you to be informed. I want you to go down that path and then ask me questions based on what you think you're seeing. But don't allow that to supersede what I tell you, uh, because true. Then, because it's my judgment. Then you really want not just you the used to say, uh, you know. You don't if you want if you go to medical school then you can uh, diagnose yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. Then Isn't you, that then what you, you said? No, you would never diagnose yourself. <laughs> no, I mean yourself. you used to, that's you used the to whole be point. mad when people would come no, and say, "Don't, don't confuse your Google search with my medical." You're right. That's what we would say, <laughs> uh, and not just our medical degree, but medical training. Caleb, you learn anything today? Anything from your standpoint? Anything, yeah. Uh, no, it it was just great. It was wonderful to see uh, Senator Paul on the show. He's great. I'm really excited for Roseanne to be in here on January. So I want you to get over to get over to Roseanne's house, make a great impression, and let's get her in yeah. here. Yeah, in January. maybe get over there on time. I, uh, my other thing is, I feel so bad for Dr. Bowden, the stuff she's had to withstand. I mean, you see that's a quality person. You see, as a caring physician, you see that she was making decisions based on the circumstance and her training and her experience with the disease, and she has to feel she has to be. Condemned for that. That that is slander, as far as I'm and concerned. Something she also, should win that case. Also, that I learned today is that Senator Rand Paul is one of only four physicians who are serving in the U.S. Senate right now. So, if there are people mm -hmm. who are making these medical decisions, shouldn't they rely on the people who are experts in this to make these choices? And he's yep. one of four saying you this would stuff. think. You would think it's you like when think. YouTube goes in and they YouTube gives us strikes and everything for medical misinformation or things like that. And yep. I go and ask them. I say, well, can Doctor Drew speak with? any of the physicians on your moderation team just to speak with them. And they mm. sheepishly just go, oh, oh, well, we don't have any physicians on our moderation team. And I'm they like, exactly, exist. of course, exactly. You don't, you don't know what you're judging here. <laughs> you are not licensed. And did you know about Drew my, is. did you know about my run-in with the Chinese bots? Did I, did I ever oh, tell you about that? That oh, was just yeah. like a couple no, weeks ago. Cause I, I see it happening whenever it comes up on your Twitter account. And I always know because they, a yeah. lot of them come in with these American names, but they only post in the middle of the night. They only post when it's certain oh, daylight hours overseas. It's very transparent. Yeah, it's so it, it obvious. It seems to when me whenever it. whenever I say anything or react to anything, Li Meng Yan is saying that seems to be oh, really for sure. oh, absolutely. It's, like, it's, oh. like, it's we got we we had somebody wanted to start helping us with the TikTok uh, world, mm. and I responded to him. I said no because they China censored us on TikTok. I'm not I'm not uh, using TikTok ever again. Oh, well. Well, we couldn't, we posted about her and we were, we got a strike and then I, mm. it took me forever to get back on. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I do recommend the book. I was pouring over it last night and this morning. You see my, I've been marking certain pages and it is, uh, it's quite astonishing. And I, I don't understand why there's not, you know, where is uh, Ronan, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Ronan journalist Ronan Farrow, where is Ronan Farrow? Why isn't he all over this stuff? Oh, I mean, this I, seems like a perfect thing for him. I really, really, really hope that secretly behind the scenes, Ronan Farrow has been putting together some massive report and he's going to crush everything that's going on here. I hope he's secretly doing something behind the scenes because it would just I, I, make I some breaking Rolling Stone that, article. Well, I just really think a really good journalist should step outside of... Uh, 
should easily step outside of politics or certainly step outside a party and just give a sensational report. There's all sorts of sensational information just in this book, just in that book. All right, like I said, I'm going to have to hit the road. We're going to, we have um, tomorrow, um, that is Viva, Viva Fry. Fry. Yes. yes. Uh, he very kindly came in. Rob Schneider had to reschedule, so Viva Fry coming in. He's always entertaining and good. And uh, we'll talk about our steak dinner with him in Florida. <laughs> and we'll be back at 3 o'clock, our usual time, Pacific time, tomorrow. We'll see you then. Ta-ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.